Can somebody tell me what the Sam Hill is going on around here? Well, we can't, sir. Well, who are you? With Nerd Alert Squad. Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Welcome to my nightmare. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? There are things that go bump in the night. Listen to them, children of the night. They're coming to get you, Barbara. What music they make! You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. There are rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Number one, you can never have sex. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. Red rum! Red rum! Number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. They're here. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Here's Johnny. I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Matu, Marada. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'll be right back. Oh! Hello there. It's your favorite host in all the podcast of Obi-John Kenobi, and welcome to a brand new Nerd Alert. Man, have we got something special today. I can't wait to get this episode started, so I want to push through these intros real quick. First of all, my right-hand man, the man who keeps the nerd and the talk nerdy to me network, your favorite host of all things gaming over on our sister show, House Rules. It's Commander Scott. So, in the interest of time, I'm going to try and keep my, my lovely nerd fact that I always like to open with, because I hate just saying hi to a minimum, but this is one I've been sitting on for about six months now. Okay, so just like 20 minutes then is all you need? <laughs> okay, I'll try to keep it even shorter. Um, okay. <laughs> no, so, uh, this, so this came up, like I said, I, I came across this about six months ago, and, and I saved it till this episode because we're, we're recording uh, on the 29th, and it'll get posted on the 30th. Um, and so this ties into uh, September 26th, 1983. And part of the, and, and this is, it's a person that we all need to remember actually existed, because nobody knew he existed, or nobody knows he existed for the most part, at least I'm sure. Um, there's a gentleman I want everybody to remember. His name is Stanislav. Um, Sir, sorry, Colonel Stanislav Petrov. Okay, he was in the Russian military in the 1980s. Okay, he was stationed. He was the officer on duty at Serpikon 15 in September, on September 26, 1983, which was the Russian base monitoring the Oko satellite ne- network to detect U.S. missile launches. I thought Serpikon was the convention out in. In Moscow, is that different? Different con? Well, no, they, they may have a con called Serpent. Oh, okay, it's okay. In the same region, but this this was a this was a Cold War Russian military base. He was the officer on duty, mm-hmm. and and the satellite system alerted him to a U.S. launch of five ICBMs. 
literally he's on duty and his shit starts going haywire uh, telling him that the U.S. is firing missiles at him. And against uh-huh. all military protocol, he looked at it and this one guy on his own said that doesn't make sense. So he disobeyed orders and he did not report the launch to his superiors. Two minutes later, there was a follow-up of five more ICBM launches. And once again, he judged it to be a false alarm. And he decided to disobey orders, go against his military protocol, and is generally credited with saving the the, the entire world against the start of World War III in 1983. An investigation later confirmed that the satellite Soviet warnings, the, the Soviet satellite warning system had malfunctioned. And reported erroneous launches. Now I assume he's currently lost in the gulag for ignoring orders. No. Uh, he passed away Aww. in 2017 at the age of 77. In a military prison for not doing his job. <laughs> am I right? Uh, I don't believe he was actually. I don't I don't think he had any. Retali- any uh, he, he didn't. He didn't have any detrimental effects uh, from the incident. But. There are there are many in this in, in that that credit this one gentleman on going on his gut instinct from saving the world from World War Three in nineteen eighty three. Well, Just considering I wasn't born until eighty four. Thank you, Stanislav, for if saving it, the world so I could exist. Exactly. If it wasn't for thank, this man, you would not be here today. Thank you, Stanislav, Petrikov, Moranov, Lov, Ovsky, Ovsky, Yep, two thousand one. Yep, I thought that was cool as shit. Oh, and and also nice. it was, it was this oh, incident. Oh. Uh, I think it was this incident that was ultimately the inspiration for War Games, but I haven't confirmed that yet. Fair enough. With Stanislav Petrikov, yeah. Moranov, Frankov, mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pav- Pavlov's cat. <laughs> Those other dulcet tones you hear rounding out this trilogy, joining us from somewhere in time and space, perhaps via a DeLorean, it's the Doc. You shall not pass. Why, why, why does Gandalf sound, you know, drunk and like half senile? He's been hitting the... Uh, the the green dragon pretty hard he got into some of the uh the gaffers old weed i, I don't know all, all i know is is based off of that that line i now picture this old man standing up uh in front of his wheelchair at a at a nursing home and his nurse quietly going yes yeah yes sir yes sir no we shall not pass we understand let's sit back down now before we break it fly fly you fools you fly yeah, yes, fly, yes. Fly. They're, they're running they're running don't worry it's, it's a <laughs> It's okay, Mr. Mr. Petrov. It's okay. Don't 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 spit your poison <laughs> tongue at me, you fork-tongued behemoth. Yes, how about we get you some nice tapioca pudding? How about Where's that? where's Shadowfax? Shadowfax. Where's Shadowfax? Shadowfax went to the glue. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's our newest recurring character, Senile Gandalf. <laughs> If you don't think, if you think I didn't write that down for future reference, Jay, you better get some material going because that's going to be a recurring character on this show. Maybe Senile Gandalf and Martha can have a conversation. 
But we'll have to get Martha back on the phone. We haven't heard from her in a while. We will. We will. Hopefully she didn't break a hip. Well, we'll find out. Maybe they're in the same nursing home. Who knows? (laughs) (sighs) Just writes itself. So, no, the actual reason we're here today, the thing I'm excited about. uh, Look, as we're recording this, it is currently September 29th, which is close enough. It's spooky season. And by that, I mean I've had my Halloween decorations up for like a week and a half already. Because if we get to celebrate Christmas the day of Thanksgiving, I can start celebrating Halloween right now. So, kicking off spooky season, the best time of the year, the greatest holiday of all time. Uh, We have some super awesome shows planned for you guys, all themed around spooky month. But for today's show, I thought we'd kick off the season right and dust off one of my old favorites. If you're a longtime listener, if, you, if you've been with us from back way back in the top nerdy TV days, you'll know exactly what this is. We used to do this every year, sometimes twice a year, because we get lazy. Um, we are bringing back <laughs> the Monster Mash Tournament. If you're unfamiliar with it, don't worry. I'll clue you in. Uh, this is a scaled-back version. We're not doing the full-on 32 combatants uh for a week kind of format we used to do we're doing it all today but essentially what we have here is the elite eight of monsters from movies tv shows uh video games uh, fantasy games rpgs i mean we really kind of cast a wide net here i really like the lineup we have this year we've got some returning favorites some all new ones uh We've got some stuff I never would have thought to put on this list because when you throw down the challenge of come up with a monster to win a tournament to Commander Scott, that motherfucker digs deep. <laughs> I love the fact that I submitted my my picks and the response was, who? <laughs> Did you sneeze while texting again? Gesundheit. And what were your picks? <laughs> No, hey, man, uh, it's like I said to you in the text uh, uh, stream when we were putting this all together. Uh, one, why why must you insist on giving me homework? Uh, and two, I always uh, appreciate being educated by Commander Scott. You helped, helped grow my nerd knowledge base to much more. Uh, I, I like So, that. how this works... Go ahead. No, go ahead. So, how this works, uh, we all chose two of our favorite monsters and without debate they are on this list then the three of us debated a little bit and discussed and we as a group picked two more which rounds this out to a full elite eight combatants we're going to go round by round uh whoever nominated their monster will argue for why their monster should win and then the third party will get to choose uh, and we'll go on to the next round, and we'll continue that until we have a champion for the tournament. So, hopefully everyone's done their homework on their boy so they can make a good arguments. Now, what we're arguing to set the stage is not who's cooler, it's not who's more iconic, it's not which one do I like more. It's who would win in a fight between these two combatants. So... Their strength, their speed, their special abilities, uh, whatever. The X factor. If they were in combat with this other creature, what would they bring to bear to bring this thing home? That's what we're debating. 
So it's not which one do we like more, which one's more iconic, which one's more famous. No, it's who would win in a fight. It's that old schoolyard chestnut that kids have been talking about. You know, the, 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 the who they're talking about changes, but we've all had that who'd win in a fight conversation with our friends. That's exactly what we're doing today. So that being said, anyone need to clarify anything before we start or have any last questions before we start? Anyone need to go to the bathroom? This might be a while. Jay, did you go? I'm good. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 almost halfway through my monkey, so I'm I might need to go get another monkey. Scott, Scott, put down a towel at least, all right? Not that kind of monkey. <laughs> but, but my my monkeys. I like my monkeys. Monkey is a mixed drink. Scott likes to drink. Uh, he'll he'll show you all about it when we come to see you next week, Jay. Uh, so before we get there, or, or, with that being said. Uh, let's get this contest underway. We are going to be facing some dastardly demons, some otherworldly oddities, a regular kaiju clobber knocker. Are you ready? <clears throat> the following is a single elimination tournament. Each match scheduled for one fall. Are you ready to thing? I can't say because it's copyright. Like that? I'm clever. You could have. Okay. It. Yeah, are, you, are you ready to mumble? Uh, are you are ready, you ready to mumble? There you go. Uh, should I come up with a cool monster word? I didn't. I didn't have time to think of it. Sorry. Our first match. Contestant number one coming from the blue corner, <clears throat> from a tributary in the upper Amazon, former Monster Mash tournament champion. The creature from the Black Lagoon. And in this Ooh. corner, his opponent, <laughs> hailing from the planet whose name I can't remember, from Star <laughs> Trek The Next Generation, he's a walking, sort of talking pile of goo, Armus. Yay. Yep. Way to be impartial third-party judge, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even think we have to debate. I think we have a winner. All right. <laughs> This is going to be a short show. <laughs> and uh, Armus is on Vagra 2, by the way. Just, Thank you. Yeah, I, I knew you would know that. Yeah, I totally don't have Memory Alpha pulled up here in the background. Totally not. Oh, good. No. I would expect that. <clears throat> All right, so Scott, I think people are probably less familiar with your fighter, so go ahead. Tell us about Armus. I don't know. I don't know. I figure. I, I feel like Armus is very well known. Oh, uh, okay. In Creature of the Black Lagoon, nobody has any idea who that is at all. Don't up our text conversation to refresh your memory again. <laughs> so Armus uh, was a was a creature that was encountered on Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, season one episode, "The Skin of Evil," which this this episode has a really really cool little backstory that I won't go into now. But um, uh, it, it's the creature that killed. Uh, Tasha Yar. So right off the bat, we have a a creature that has killed a primary character in a show, and and that death was totally not you know from her deciding to leave the show at all. It was it was totally the writers killing her off, and the actress was like, "What? No." Um, hey, 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 get your reality out of this. It's all in universe. <laughs> so in universe, Armus is a sentient pile of goo he's like a sentient oil slick um 
he oh damn it I'm sorry i meant to introduce this match as <laughs> it's the, i thought it doesn't work today and it made me laugh so you all get to hear it now it's the creature versus the black lagoon <laughs> <laughs> jesus you're welcome hang on it's here so- hang on it's here somewhere hang on hang on <laughs> Nope, not that one. Nope. <laughs> nope. Wait, I can never remember which ones these are. Nope. Wait, hold on. Yep. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, guys. I, I got it. Hang on. Nope. <laughs> oh, no, that works. <laughs> they all work. I like this. I'm waiting for my voice clip of. You <laughs> see the size of that you see the size of like damn chicken? <laughs> no, no, really, I got that too. That's where. It's right here. Come on, load, stupid thing. Oh. <laughs> you see the size of that goddamn? <laughs> Give it up, Scott. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I got to remember which one that dramatic music was. Now I got to label these things at some point because these are physical. No, no you don't. Twice. I like this as it is. <laughs> it's like a Russian roulette of sound bites. I like it. Anyway, uh, so Armus is is like I said, he's like a sentient pile of black viscous goo and literally he's just kind of sitting on the ground in a sand he's completely autonomous he can move at will wherever he needs to um so what armis is armis is all of the hate and the malice and just every strong evil dissentient emotional response from a humanoid for an entire race discarded and personified on this planet. He has been in isolation. Like, look, this entire race took every bad uh, emotional thought and, and uh, every bit of evil that was in their core and they discarded it. They, 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 they shuffled off that, that part of their mortal coil. Uh, and, and this, this tangent viscous sludge of evil was born. Um, and, and he's been alone in isolation on Vagra 2 for centuries. Nobody would come down. Finally, of course, in the episode, uh, a, a shuttlecraft uh, containing uh, Deanna Troy uh, crash lands, and the Enterprise tries to, to, to get to her and save her. So Armis demonstrates the, the following abilities while uh, the, the Enterprise crew are, are trying to get to the shuttlecraft. First of all, he, he can block their, their, their path. So he can physically move. He can manifest a physical body. He can like grow out of it and whatever and, and everything. But he also, on top of that, he's he's telepathic, so he knows your thoughts. And Deanna had a hard time of hiding her thoughts from him. He can disrupt energy beams, so he can disrupt communications. He can disrupt transporters, uh, uh, and he can disrupt uh, phaser beams. So he 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 has. At least somewhat of a passive control. We don't know if it's area of effect or not, but he has a passive control over directed energy, uh, depending on what application that energy is 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 taking. Uh, he he demonstrated the ability of telekinesis, uh, as he can he can hurl people uh, across you know small distances at least. He 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 would knock some people down and and whatnot. Um, with the telepathy, he has a little bit of mind control, not a lot. Um, and he has the complete ability to envelop humanoids, other creatures, so he can take them into himself and literally fully absorb them. And when they're inside him, uh, he has full control over their 
their physical functions because he can either preserve them or he can kill them. It's up to him. So that is what Armas is. He's literally a skin of evil. So he's walking mood slime. Walking mood slime to the nth degree of evilness. Gotcha. So you know how, you know, in, in the movie, they, 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 they sing to it. They say comforting, nurturing things to it. Mm-hmm. They may or may not have slept with it to make the, the mood slime kind of good. It's always quite <laughs> they, Think of it as the mood slime that went with the, uh, the abusive stepfather. Right, so all we need to beat him is uh, Jackie Wilson on tape deck. <laughs> Loves Jackie Wilson. <laughs> so just like Jackie. Sorry, we're not going to quote Ghostbusters too all day. Um, Scott, I will again. Uh, I have to give you credit, uh, and I'm 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 glad you dug deep, uh, and I knew we'd get some some off the beaten path choices from you, but. A walking viscous pile of goo is something I wouldn't, and, and not the blob, but specifically from Star Trek. Uh, I'm proud of you, man. Uh, it's not a Gorn, where I, th- I thought that's where you were going to go with, but no, you well, uh, you zigged when I thought you were going to zag, and I love it. Well, first of all, I had to get me some Trek in here. You know that, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and I always try to, I try to get a little eclectic. I try to get, you know, something that people don't normally think of when they think of Star Trek monsters. They don't normally go to Armus, but I'm like, yeah, man, I'm gonna bring me some Armus into here. Well, you, you did make me uh, backtrack on uh, one of my went obscure, and I was like, well, if we're gonna do that, I want to change some of mine then. So. Yeah. Very well argued, sir. Armus. Uh, now, he's fighting off against, of course, the greatest universal monster to come out of Universal City, the creature from the Black Lagoon, hailing from a long lost tributary in the upper Amazon. He is the missing link between man and fish. He is Ichthyosapien. He has super strength. He can roll cars. He can punch through boats. He can walk on land. He can swim in the water. He's got claws, large talons. He can scratch and cut with. Bullets? Nah, shrugs him off. Flamethrower? Nah, shrugs it off. Harpoon guns that you have underwater? Because that's what you bring out on a way mission. <clears throat> shrugs him off. Uh, admittedly, these are not two combatants that are... Uh, <laughs> they're not exactly on equal footing here, but it's okay. Um... He's the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know him, you love him. Uh, he may or may not have teeth. I mean, I assume he eats fish, so he has them in there somewhere, but his, his mouth is very gummy. Uh, and most importantly, he just wants somebody to love. You know, he sees, sees a hot blonde swimming in his lagoon for the first time. He's like, oh, hey, girl, what's up with this? He just wants someone to love. So his jackass, he just started shooting harpoon guns and roofing him. That's when he got all upset. Yeah, I uh, I kind of agree with you. Uh, when I watched the creature of the, from the Black Lagoon for the first time, like this year, uh, I never consider I don't consider him a monster. I mean, he's just kind of a chill guy. It's the other people who are assholes in that story. Well, that's kind of the theme of most of the Universal monsters. The monster's not really ever the monster of the story. But uh, look, he's a returning champion. I had to keep him on the list. That being said. You know where I'm voting. You know where Scott's voting. Jay, what are you voting? <clears throat> I, 
Who wins, As the creature the- or the Black Lagoon? Keep in mind, next week at your wedding, I'm controlling the music. As as an actual impartial judge, Mm -hmm. um, here's the thing. In a situation in which these two would come to some sort of contact with each other, it's the fact that Armus can envelop humanoid-type creatures, which the creature is. Humanoid creature is a creature, yes. Yeah, but <laughs> right there in the name. <laughs> but what I what I don't know is how that would work out because I don't know if there's any sort of power that the creature would have over Armus that would not allow Armus just to basically, like Scott said, destroy him. Because like yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how Armus destroys something once he develops it. I don't know if it would be an environment where the creature could even breathe, or maybe he just he just like the blob just and develops them in a giant jello mold and they suffocate. I don't know. Well, um, but to, I to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. So first of all, in the episode, Commander Riker is enveloped by Armus, and Armus basically holds his life, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for ransom. So once the person, once the creature is inside of Armus, Armus can either sustain him or let them expire at Armus's will. Um, and also, just FYI, how specifically do they expire though? That is not said in the episode because okay. Riker lives. Um, well, yeah, but, he does. He's Riker. Well, but from a well, this is pre beard Riker, so you know, all bets are off. If he doesn't uh, live, he can't grow the beard. So, uh, but also from a production standpoint, the quote unquote Armus that um Jonathan Frakes was submerged in was a combination of Metamucil and printer ink. Oh, if we're Gross. gonna go that route, I read your memory officer. The <laughs> the the suit they made for that episode kept inexplicably disintegrating itself. So yes. Boom. <laughs> you know what didn't disintegrate itself? The creature from the Black Lagoon suits. Sure it did. It was disintegrated many, many years later. Oh, there's two of them, man. They had the on wall of land and they had the on water with slightly bigger head so he could try to breathe in it. Had the goggles over top of it, even though they kept filling up with water anyway. <laughs> it was 19... Hold on. I should know this. 1950. Hold on. Hold on. Scroll back up. You bastard. 1953 they shot that movie you didn't have all these fancy special effects you just flat out build a giant waterproof box with a window at one end shove a camera in it toss some divers in the lake and go poor old rico brownish yeah hold your breath dude we're about to shoot this scene now so i'm really curious in what world metamucil mixed with printer ink becomes fancy special effects it's fancy special effects fruit and tootin that's really high for Highfalutin special effect. Also, anyway. who who would think to use printer ink? <laughs> We're gonna submerge an actor in this. What should we use? Printer ink. That'll be fun for them to wash out at the end of the day. <clears throat> yep. yep. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I I would imagine that creature from the Black Lagoon would be able to withstand phaser fire, like if it's able to withstand everything else, bullets, flamethrower. Uh, Again, we're getting into territory. I don't really have anything to compare it to. I mean, he does have, he has a scaly uh, outer layer of his skin. So So 
what I'm trying to get to is the only edge that I can give to Armas is the fact that Armas can envelop the creature from the Black Lagoon and then expire it at its own will. Somehow. Somehow. So by the narrowest of margins, I would give it to Armas. Jay, I just want you to know. I would give it to Armas too. I'm just also I don't I don't know if I would give it to him by the narrowest of margins. I mean, you know, literally Armas completely impervious to physical damage. He's a goo. He can't be Scott. Scott, you gotta you gotta you gotta ham it up, Scott. You gotta sell it. You can sell it to the audience. No, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to. As soon as I so literally the way I I created the, the, the bracket. I went through and wrote down not the name of the creature or whatever, or our or, or, or pick, but literally my first pick, Scott's first pick, Jay's first pick, my second pick. I literally went through and wrote down like J1, J2, S1, S2. That's how I filled out the bracket. So I had no idea who was actually going to end up facing whom. Wow. I just filled in our choices. <laughs> um, that being said, they turned out pretty well for the most part, but this one was the one that I was like, okay, I, I can try to make a strong argument for creature, but no, nah, there's 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 no way again because we're, we're we're debating on who would win in a fight, not who would we like more. Um, I'm not going to run out and buy an Armas T-shirt anytime soon, but in a fight, creature's got no chance here, man. See, now I yeah. got to look and see if there's an Armas T-shirt out there somewhere I can get for you. <laughs> <laughs> if not, you know a guy who can make one. That's uh, true. No, uh, again, um, this is the only one that felt unfairly stacked in one side or the other. But that's okay. That's what I get for picking the same monster every time I do this. So that's on me. Maybe I'll retire a creature next year. But so, winner of this round, Armus. Yay, next gen. Fair enough. I I <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. It's okay. Thanks for trying to make me feel better though with that whole slimmest margin thing. <laughs> I appreciate that, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, so, our next match. <clears throat> In this corner, hailing all the way from ancient Egypt. <clears throat> He's the pharaoh's uh, priest, right? Yeah, priest. High, yeah, high priest. Who got a little too handsy with the pharaoh's concubine. It's Prince. Not, not Prince, sorry. It's you. Top the mummy versus in the other corner. The giant tornado of teeth and leaves and somehow arms as well. It looks like it was some kind of nerd's acid trip spilled out on paper. It's the I don't know how to pronounce it, Scott. Fairum. Fairum, yes. Fairum. Hailing all the way from the nether, not nether realms, that's more nope. combat. Yeah. <laughs> from the forgotten, forgotten realms? Forgotten realms, yes. Hailing all the way from the forgotten realms of D&D, the Ferrum. All right. So who okay. goes first? Who do you want to hear first? Jay hasn't done it. Jay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, my pick, Imhotep, uh, who's high priest uh, high priest and advisor to study the first. Um, and like you said, he was a little too handsy with uh, the Pharaoh's number one concubine, I guess you could say, Anaxanamun. 
Uh, and for his murder of the Pharaoh, he was uh, cursed to the Hamdai, which he was mummified alive and buried in a sarcophagus with flesh-eating beetles. Um, and then creepily inscribed on the inside of the sarcophagus, death is only the beginning. Uh, he was brought back to life because uh, Evie decided that she was going to read from the book and brought him back to life. And so when the mummy came back to life, basically, he is an invincible, unstoppable force because he is immortal. Because that was part of the curse is that if he was ever brought back to life, he would be immortal. Uh, he came back, I guess you could say it partially. And I mean, like in physical form, partially because he had to basically absorb, uh, the people who were cursed by taking his organs that had been put into jars. So the jars were cursed, but as far as power goes, he, we've seen him manipulate sand. We've seen him turn into sand. Uh, he can manipulate water. He can still use the same sort of dark spells and magic, basically, that he was using uh, when he was murder or when he was mummified alive. Um, he we saw him have control over the mummified army of, uh, well, not army, but group of guards, the pharaoh's guards. Um, Basically, he's just kind of a magical badass that also is not bad in hand-to-hand -hand combat, which we saw in uh, facing off against, you know, the worst CG rock we've ever seen in our lives. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. You're not wrong. It was the worst CG rock we've ever seen in our lives. That uh, CG was horrible. Let's not go there. Let's not anyway. go there. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> with the return of Emotep came the plagues of Egypt. Uh, it's, yeah. So he's a, he's an all around badass in my opinion. Yeah. All right, Scott top that. Well, so first of all, you know, <laughs> Emotep can can plague Egypt all he wants because we're fighting in the Forgotten Realms. Thank you very much. Oh, Scott's changing up the home turf. Uh, so the Pharaohim are a creature from the uh, Netheril Empire, an empire literally born of mages. It was a mage empire, and, and these creatures are are were a, a, a creation of one of those mages. It was, it was a mage experiment gone slightly awry. Not horrifically awry, just slightly awry. I say that because the horrific awryness came when the entire Netheril Empire uh, was shifted to um, the, the, the element, the quasi-elemental plane of shade. Sorry. Um, uh, and, and was lost for several centuries, and in its place became the Anarok Desert, which is where the Feyrim resided um, for for the longest time. They are uh, conical shaped creatures with ovoid heads. They have barbed teeth, venomous hollow barbs at the end. They have four arms, spiked slug shaped bodies with a greenish color, color and and leathery hides that resist 
pretty much most physical damage, uh, and they move by telekinesis. Now, this is their appearance. And yeah, it's it's it, it, it's somewhat, you know, kind of very monstery and, and everything and, and, and definitely, you know, uh, something non-human. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're wholly evil, sadistic. Um, they, they delight in bringing pain to others and would gladly erase all of the being all other beings from existence uh, uh, if they wanted to or if they could. Because they're just assholes like that. Now, um, of course, formidable in melee combat. So your your whole oh, he's a good fighter. Yeah, he's a good fighter when he's fully human and been restored. But in his early stage, he's like I can barely move. Um, uh, but they are formidable melee components. You know, they in game terms. So I also, by the way, I'm going to preface this for anybody who's listening who may actually know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm I'm working off of the fifth edition stat block, by the way. Um, so I'm not going back to 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 AD and D second edition or third edition. But I'm I'm going off the current one, the fifth edition stat block. Um, so they get six attacks per turn. Um, with uh, with uh, multi attack, uh, so they get their bite, um, uh, which is a plus five to hit. Um, uh, their fists melee attack plus five to hit with each, and they get four of those. And then they get their tail, uh, which also uh, uh, the, does a, a poison uh, of a DC 18 constitution saving throw. I've got to make this as nerdy as I can to protect my reputation. Just FYI. Doing a great job, man. Now, I, I, I will firmly admit going into this. So I, I, even though, you know, the Faerim is my boy in this fight, um, I, I do have to be objective. And, and I get the whole, um, you know undead immortal thing physical damage really means nothing to the uh uh to the mummy i i get that he, he can't physically be killed you can't overcoming that way however the fairim are in are beautiful innate magic users so one of the first things that they do this their primary defense and it makes them such a tough opponent is is they have magic absorption so anytime the Faerim is targeted by any type of magic that deals damage, they absorb that damage and it heals them. You cannot kill them with magic. They also have innate spell casting of psionics, um, which means uh, uh, they can cast, uh, in, in, in amongst other things, uh, Blight, Dimension Door, Dominate Person, Enlarge and re- enlarge, reduce fireball, flaming sphere, haste, magic missile, ray of enfeeblement, uh, shield, thunder wave, uh, thunder wave, sorry, witch bolt, vampiric touch. So they can literally they can control the person with uh, with dominate person. They can use vampiric touch to drain any and all magical energy, not physical magical energies. They also have. Um, ray of enfeeblement, which which does deplete uh, uh, any kind of strength, depending on which situation you're you're dealing with. Uh, they also have dimension door, which means they can just blah blah blah. Now their reactional abilities include spell reflection. So if the Faerim is targeted by uh, any kind of a, a, a line of sight spell, you know, um, then uh, on a they can uh, blah, 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 blah. sorry. <laughs> I got tongue-tied. Uh, they can reflect that back to the caster. 
So they can not only absorb magic hurled against them to heal themselves, they can reflect magic back to the caster to hurt the caster with their own spell. They also have Mind Warp, uh, which targets a creature within 60 feet. Now, I'm, I'm skipping over the stuff that probably wouldn't do any good against the mummy, like uh, Haunting Image, because the mummy can't be scared. Telekinetic Storm, stuff like that. But yeah, so they can uh, they can target one creature uh, that they can see, and they can hurt them psionically. They can attack the person's mind, which even though the mummy and Emotep is uh, a magical creature, they still have a human mind driving it. And that human mind can still take damage. So the fact that they can use the mummy's magic to heal themselves, they can reflect the magic back to deal physical damage, which will slow them down but not kill them, but it will keep the Faerim alive long enough to fuck him over mentally because he's still a human mind. And we prove that in the movie whenever because he's still in love with Anaxuna Moon. He can still make human connections. That's my argument. Okay, Scott, very well researched. Thank you. Side question. Yes. What kind of sadistic fucking nerd invents this creature to <laughs> battle for fun in a game? <laughs> like, who pissed in this guy's cornflakes? And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a giant Sanian plant. And it's got, no, that doesn't hurt him because he has psionic power. No, that doesn't affect him either because he can do mind warping. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. So, so people complain I, about Superman being overpowered. So back in the day, it was always one of my favorite things to throw a, a D&D gaming group against a Faerim when they had no idea who or what a Faerim was. But, but, but yeah, what the fuck do you do? But I would only I would only fight them against one Faerim. Now, one of the, the, the things in D&D that helped with that was that they were not a herd society. They, they, they literally stayed kind of on their own. It's very, very unusual to encounter more than one Faerim at a time. Uh, Jay, question for you. Yeah. In this scenario, has Emotep reabsorbed his organs? Is he fully back to full power? I would say yes. Okay. Scott, I, I would also agree with yes on that. Yeah. Okay. Scott, question. Does the Faerim have the ability summon cat? Uh, <laughs> no. uh, but, but, hang on. So there was something that I left out because I thought it was unimportant, but now that you bring this up, it's not. The Faerim have, have, have the reaction ability haunting image. The Faerim targets one creature it can see within 60 feet of it. The target must succeed on a, on a saving throw. Um, uh, the target, uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's see. if a creature's, uh, hang on. Basically, it, it, pro it projects a haunting image into the mind of the creature that scares it. Mm. So it could literally beam the image of cats into, into his mind. That only works until the mummy is fully formed, though. So... I would say it has a better shot, but it's still in its arsenal. Okay. <clears throat> so, and then my question is, can the Faerim read Egyptian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because like otherwise this guy's invincible like it's just gonna be non-stop just back and forth shooting spells and doing Sorry. magic at each other i just loved it can you read egyptian <laughs> um <laughs> sorry 
I don't know why that's tickling my funny bone. Well, it, uh, no, this this is definitely going to be a knockdown dragout fight because they both have so many abilities and powers. I feel like this is going to go on for like days, while one is just trying to figure out, okay, well, what if I throw this at him? Oh, that didn't work. What if I throw that at him? That didn't work. Uh, how about this? Like, I think it's, it's going to go back and forth for a while. Um, I am going to keep this thread going that Scott started on the last fight, though. Um, and we're going to peel back the curtain here. See, the problem with the Faerun is its attacks are based solely on how well your DM is rolling. Whereas the Mummy has script armor. I mean, plot armor. Sorry. Uh, so if the script says it happens, uh, the Mummy can do it. If the script says, no, now he can turn into water, he can do it. Yeah, but at the same time, if a GM needs a fair M to do something, he can do it. Depending on how he rolls. You're talking about attacks. You get a roll for an attack. Yeah, you think the DM is actually adhering to rolls. All right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, Jay, you voting for your mummy? Yeah. Yeah. Scott, you voting for your fair M? Psionically, Emotep's going down. Well, that may be the case. But practically, Emotep wins. <sighs> I'm so sad. I'm with Jay. Uh, I just think if... The only way they could defeat Emotep is to drain his power and turn him back into a mortal by reading a spell. So, the odds of the Faerum acts accidentally coming upon the correct spell in ancient Egyptian from a book he doesn't have to turn him mortal to kill him versus Imhotep eventually figuring out some way to hurt the Faerum. I, I, I think it edges, again, this is going to go on for a very long time, uh, but I think the edge is going to end up coming over to Mummy. Well, once again, objectively looking at it, uh, the Faerum, while an intelligent creature, is just an intelligent creature, whereas uh, Imhotep is, is what he is. Um, I, I would I would say I would acknowledge that like if if you had a GM or a writer or whatever you, if you really needed the Faerim to win there's enough here you could write it that way but objectively yeah at the at the end of the day yeah I I think Emotep would would edge it out over time yeah yay <laughs> <clears throat> alrighty tried to make as good an argument as I could for him. No, hey, Scott, you, again, you always do your homework, and I appreciate that. You came equipped with a whole toy box of goodies for, for the favorite <laughs> on that one. Uh, all right, Jay. How you feeling after that win, buddy? Oh, not bad. Good. Good. Ready to go again? Oh, this one will be close, too, I think. Our next match <laughs> in this corner Hailing from somewhere in space. <laughs> the invention of a really bored robot. Sorry, I mean... <clears throat> the invention <laughs> of a twisted Swedish artist uh, in space. Only they can hear you scream. It's the Xenomorph. Yay! And his opponent... Hailing from the movie claimed by this network to be the greatest film of all time, Blade 2, the secret genetic experiment 
of the head of the vampire council, the super vampire, the reaper strain. Jay, you want to go? You want me to go? Uh, Scott, which go. one do you want to hear I talk, first? I talk, you well, talk. Well, for, first of all, um, I, I would like to preface that, that uh, it may be the the overall consensus of everybody on this 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 network that Blade Two is the greatest movie of all time, but it, it is not mine, and I am the voice of dissension. And and this movie is 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 meh at best. Just just know I'm gonna cut out everything you just said when I have this. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm Scott Cox, and I say this is the greatest movie you ever made. That's what I'm putting in or what you just said. Perfect, <laughs> perfect Commander Scott impression. Nailed it. I, I'd believe it. Two super size of that goddamn chicken. Um, oh, wait, wait, it's there. Uh, the is it? Is it? Or are we just pushing random buttons uh, again? Uh oh, uh oh. You see the size? He uh, learned the buttons. We have to go change them again. The buttons, boss. Go with the buttons. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Gotta love that movie. Which? So, which one do you want to hear first, Scott? You know what? You 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 went first last time. Let's uh, let's go with uh, let's, let's go with Obi John this time. I'll go. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, because and, and again, this probably needs a little more explanation. I think everyone knows the Xenomorph. So the Reaper strain. Uh, if you've never seen Blade Two, first of all. Why do you hate yourself? Second of all, the Reaper strain is a a new super strain of vampire created in Blade 2 by the Vampire Council. Spoiler alert. Um, They are created to be the genetic superior vampire. They were created to weed out all the weaknesses of the vampires while enhancing all their strengths and eventually inevitably making basically an invincible vampire was their goal. Uh, So what does that look like? Well, first of all, you know the old stay at... Take two. First of all, you know the old tried and true way to kill a vampire, good old stake through the heart? Well, the Reaper have a thick armored bone casing around the front and rear of their heart the only way to try to pierce their heart is to stab them directly through the side and hit the narrow gap where the bone fragments come together if you're wesley snipes and the script says so you can pull it off (laughs) otherwise might be a bit of a trick uh they have a three-way jaw so their bottom jaw hinges in half uh, and has a, a giant uh, uh, call it, proboscis thing uh, at the end of each one. And the muscles that control that jaw are amped all the way to 11. Uh, think of like a giant crocodile snapping down on you. Uh, they have the ability to transfer the Reaper strain into their victims like a normal vampire does. Uh, but that does include they can infect other vampires. They have a highly evolved thirst, so they have to feed every few hours, not every few days like normal vampires, which means they're super aggressive. They are impervious to pretty much every form you use to kill a normal vampire. So in the Blade universe, that means silver, done do shit to these guys. That means garlic, done do shit to these guys. EDTA, the thing you punch and it makes the vampires swell up and explode, gives them a bit of a headache, doesn't really stop them. Um, The only weakness that they were able to use and exploit against the Reapers in the film was they're still weak to sunlight and ultraviolet. 
Sunlight, still the only way to kill a vampire, even with the Reapers. Uh, that being said, if it wasn't direct contact with the actual sun, the uh, the the UV lamps that they use in that movie, they burned them, it hurt them, but it didn't kill him instantly. Um, so you have the Reaper, the the vampire made by vampires to be the ultimate vampire. It's a badass. It's got all the normal things a vampire has. So strength, speed, impervious to whatever weapon humans use because bolts doesn't do shit to him, whatever. Um, cut off a limb. Yeah, sure. Good luck trying. Get close enough to him. Um, that is the Reaper strain. I don't know what else to say about him. Jay? So the Xenomorph, everybody knows Xenomorph is the alien from the Aliens franchise. Uh, and if you don't know that, what hole have you been living in your entire life? Uh, Is that the big giant guys that, that piloted the ship? Yes. that okay. The Jesus allegories. Yep. Uh, hey, Jesus allegories. <laughs> so, uh, xenomorphs have kind of like a tough exoskeleton. Uh, they have acid for blood. Uh, large claws on their their hands. They have a spiked tail, uh, double jaw. Uh, they're very good at blending in with the environment, sneaking up on you, catching you off guard. Uh, if it's not terrifying enough what a xenomorph is, the way that they're born is that you're literally suffocated by a face hugger. Uh, and then this thing just bursts forth from your chest. Uh, killing the host instantly. Uh, well, not always instantly, i.e. Ripley from Aliens 3, but <clears throat> Alien 3. Uh, anyway, they're... I mean, I, everybody knows Xenomorphs. There's not a whole lot to say about them other than they're just a total badass of a creature. Um, yeah. That's all. I mean, I don't know what else to say about them. Well, I mean, you know, listening to both of these arguments and everything, um, I I think it's it's um, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear the uh, the fair M would win. So let's go with fair <laughs> M. Uh, so here's here, these are just a few of my arguments that I would I would make because, okay. like I said, we we all know what the xenomorph is. So what I'd say yeah. is the, the Reaper is a vampire. So. Having never seen a xenomorph, its go-to is going to be, oh, I'll bite it. Yeah. Well, acid blood, right? And yeah. then it's, oh, well, my heart is protected by my giant rib cage chest. Well, I eventually, I would think the xenomorph is going to stick its speared tail in there somewhere. Okay, so I, I have questions. Can I repeat yeah. that? Okay. So the only way Xenomorph wins is if you're talking a face hugger, and that's a maybe. Well, because the face hugger has to get past the split triple jaw and the enhanced muscles of the jaw to get its ovipositor in it. Per if it can do that, sure, maybe it can win. Personally, I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw out the the face hugger argument. Okay. Second, uh, acid blood, no effect on vampires. It might burn its clothes, it might burn its skin, but it's not going to stop it. Okay, so I have questions. Okay. So it's been a while since I've seen Blade 2. 
or, or actually any of the Blade movies. Uh, I've seen them, of course. It's, it's yes. just a few. All years. two uh, of the Blade movies, yes. Uh, yeah, especially that one with uh, um, uh, that one that was really good with uh, 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 the guy that played Green Lantern. Um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Yeah, um, but <laughs> so when it comes to the stabbing of the heart in the Blade movie universe, now I know Blade is based on Marvel, but I'm not I'm not bringing any any Marvel comic stuff into this. I'm just looking at the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that they have to stab them in the heart with? What, like I know it's stakes, but what what silver? It is silver. The way the lead reaper is killed in Blade Two is Blade takes his uh, his broken sword, yeah, and because he knows he Blade knows his heart is protected by the bone armor. The Xenomorph yeah. wouldn't know that, so Jay's hoping on blind luck the Xenomorph will stab it through the side and that its tail will do the job. In the movie, they had to use a silver stake or blade sword, yeah, to pierce it. Okay, so so here's what I'm looking at. Okay, if we have a Reaper and a Xenomorph warrior, just the standard Xenomorph, not a queen, not a facehugger, just the standard, you know, uh, everyday Xenomorph going head to head, they're going to start fighting and clawing and biting at one another because that's the primary attack mechanism of both of these creatures. Um, now, the Xenomorph is going to start clawing and stabbing and rending and tearing. With its claws, because that's what it does. It has some bite stuff to it, but that's not its primary. Now, the the Reaper is going to start, you know, uh, tearing with its hands because it's super strong, and it's going to start that that jaw is going to come open, and it's going to start tearing into that armor. Okay, so here's what I see: that the the Reaper is going to start biting through between the platelets of the armor of the Xenomorph, and it's going to start hitting that acid blood, and it's going to start doing physical damage to the jawline. Okay. Now, we could get into the argument about whether or not the the Reaper strain could be transmitted to Xenomorph physiology or not. I would tend toward no, but I think that's a little moot. Eventually, the Xenomorph is going to, whether it gets lucky, quote unquote lucky or not, and it stabs it through the side, I don't think is necessary. Because once again, it's it's eventually, as this fight goes on, it's going to rend through the flesh. It's going to get to the bone and it's going to start tearing the bone apart. Given enough time, and I think it would have enough time, it's going to it's going to rip open that cage of that heart. I no bullshit. Hang on. No, the Reaper's going to walk up. It's going to get. They're both going to take damage. But here's the thing: the Reaper with one blow is going to take the Xenomorph's head off. He might walk away with some damage. He might walk away with a couple less limbs. But he's winning the fight. You're hoping over enough time the acid might disintegrate the layers of skin and bone to get to expose the heart. By that point, the xenomorph is dead. We're talking one xenomorph, one reaper. Not backing down. So as I was saying, if the xenomorph actually was able to get to the heart and it was able to hurt the heart, would I don't think Xenomorph just tearing the heart apart would destroy the Reaper because the Reaper would just regenerate because it's not silver and it's not a wooden stake. So even if 
the xenomorph managed to get into the heart cage, which I think is entirely possible. Um, I don't think it would ultimately destroy the Reaper. The Reaper would simply regenerate and come back for more, which means ultimately, even if the xenomorph gets everything right and everything is working on the side of the xenomorph, it's a war of attrition that the xenomorph cannot win. I apologize for jumping down your throat, Scott. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Play the clip from Kanye being like, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> so, Scott, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. The Reaper <laughs> had one of the best movies of all time. Sorry. Ultimately, I'm sorry, Jay. I would, I would have to give this, I would have to give this fight to the Reaper. You know what? This is this is this is rigged. This is bullshit. I demand a recount. Okay, we'll count again. Scott, who are you voting for? <laughs> I'm voting for the Reaper. I'm gonna vote for the Reaper. Jay, you're gonna vote for? This election was rigged. Oh, okay. Xenomorph 2024. You wanna count again? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this final match is gonna be interesting because these are both choices we as a group voted in. So this is gonna be less one of us arguing somebody else and the third party being in more of a discussion between the three of us as to who wins. So I'll let whoever wants to represent whichever side they want to, or we could all add in. Well, but our final, go ahead. Diablo is Jay's. Okay. The Balrog, I think, is yours. Okay. So go ahead and present your arguments for each. And instead of me being a deciding factor, we'll just I'll I'll give my viewpoint and we'll discuss it. Okay, <clears throat> our final fight of the first round, <clears throat> hailing from uh, that one place, Mordor. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> hailing from Mordor. <clears throat> I think originally, maybe. Uh, uh, originally, <laughs> where are you from? Originally, sorry, <laughs> they, they, they don't actually hail from Mordor. No, sorry. See, well, then you should be representing it, Scott, because I only know the movie. So, well, see, so the Balrogs, because you said Mordor, so I assume you're going with Bal- Balrog first. Uh, yes, the Balrogs are actually corrupted Maiar, which is basically the Tolkien version of angels. In its most base form, they were corrupted by Melkor, which was uh, Sauron's boss in the first age, prior to to him being defeated and 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 uh, Sauron becoming uh, the what Sauron became, um, and uh, which Melkor is basically the the uh, um, <laughs> the the Tolkien version of the devil. But uh, I forget the word right now. It, it, it escapes me. But yeah, so they don't actually hail from Mordor. They're not actually, they don't work for Sauron or anything. In fact, the Balrog you see in the movie is the only one left on Middle Earth. So, yeah. There you go. It's fire and darkness. It's the thing the dwarves uh, dug too greedily and discovered. It's the Balrog of Morgoth. And his opponent 
hailing from the video game series. He is the chief antagonist. He's so big, they named the game after him. All three of them. It's I kind Satan, basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> Diablo. <clears throat> that was your QJ. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, am I going first? Um, we haven't got it all yet, so tell us about Diablo. <laughs> so Diablo is the youngest of the prime evils. Uh, and the like you said, the main antagonist of the video game series Diablo. Um, he's a demon. Uh, he basically is from hell, the hell version in Diablo. Uh, and he is in basically a nonstop battle with angels. Um, and the in between, like the battleground in between that they're fighting for souls is basically what is earth uh and they just sort of keep in this constant conflict um he's been sort of captured and subdued in the past but you know based on the number of sequel video games that we keep getting uh he keeps coming back so you can get him caught in a in the soul stone but then he breaks free uh he's the lord of terror which is scary in itself. He's got, you know, all the same powers as a demon would have. Um, he can uh, influence mortals. Uh, he can actually take possession of a mortal body. Um, but in his, like, true form, he's a giant devil creature. So, Diablo. All righty. So, I've been looking, I've been thinking about this fight for a couple of days now. This is the one I've been looking the most forward to, I won't lie. Because in all honesty, if we look at this from an objective 30,000 foot view of literary, and and I'm going to use the term literary, even the ones from a video game. Um plot points or literary devices if you would i believe the balrog and diablo are the same thing literally we're pitting apples against apples apples of the same size against apples of the same size yeah but is it a honey crisp or a jonathan they're both jonathans oh okay if you have two two identical jonathan apples which one's better that's Clearly, Scott, I'm... you have not watched the old ladies in the produce department because they will spend all day picking between <laughs> Jonathan apples. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know what a Jonathan apple is. I've never heard of one. <laughs> Honey Crisp, yes. Um, Gala, yes. Uh, Red Delicious. Food. Red Delicious, yes, I've heard of. Jazz apples, I've heard of, but I've never heard of a Jonathan apple. Well, my grandma says they're the best because they're named after me. <laughs> I'm sure that's totally true. <laughs> Otherwise, you're saying Nana lied to me. So, so either A, the Jonathan Apple is relatively recent variety, or some time travel was involved. Someone's about to get a Wikipedia sent to him. <laughs> uh, no, so, well, okay, I'll, I'll say this. You're right, Scott. They are basically 
the same thing. Uh, they are they are both essentially fallen angels who have been corrupted. That being said, they're going to fight. There's going to be a winner. They're I mean, gonna humans winner. fight all the time. There's usually well, a winner. Now, sorry. Uh, one, yes. one of the things that keeps coming back into my head with regards to this is let's look at the the actual creatures or monsters in their respective genres or their respective source material and the fights that they were in. So with Diablo, he's a primeval, yes, but in every instance of Diablo, he has been defeated by mortal combatants. Okay. Mortal might be they are they're Nephilim. There's at least one Nephilim. Okay, what 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 do you mean by that? Educate us. So like in Diablo 3, you find out later that you're a Nephilim, which is um oh man, it's been a while. Part angel. Part human, part angel, yeah. So you're like so you're, you're like sort of a half breed, sort okay. of a demigod. Well, yes. so what? What was what kept bringing 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 me back to this was the Balrog was defeated by Gandalf after a three day fight, descending into the pit of Khazadun, fighting all the way back up to the top of the mountain across three days, and then in which Gandalf finally smote his ruin upon the mountain top, in which. At which point? At which, at which point Gandalf himself expired? So Gandalf gave his life over the course of a three-day fight, one full day of which was in freefall, to defeat the Balrog. And Gandalf, like the Balrog himself, was also a Maiar. They were equal beings. But the Balrog tripped him off the bridge with his whip. But you see what I'm saying? Point, Balrog, sorry. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas whereas Diablo is getting defeated by, well, at first I thought mortal beings, but once again, I don't don't get too much into the minutiae of of Diablo. But if, if they're Nephilim and they're half angel, so still more powerful than a, than a mortal, but not exactly equal to Diablo. Now, I see so, what you're saying. But, Scott, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Diablo can possess people. So, technically, Diablo could possess uh, Gandalf. But Gandalf isn't a person, he's not human. Gandalf also isn't involved in the actual fight. It's it's this the Balrog true. and yeah. Diablo. So could yeah. Diablo yeah. possess no. the Balrog? I don't think so. I, and, I would say probably and, not. Yeah, and if we're yeah. looking, if if we're in, if we're bringing Gandalf into this just for a comparison level of power, which I'm fine with. Like we we know what happened with Gandalf and the Balrog. So Jay's bringing Gandalf in to say what would happen with Gandalf and, and Diablo, and just so we have a basis of a comparison. And I, I get, you. and that's fine. I I don't think Diablo would be able to possess Gandalf because once again Gandalf is not human. He is a Maiar. He is the same level as Diablo and the Balrog. He is the same entity. Just one is corrupt 
and he is yeah. not. So I'm just trying to think back. It's been so long. I don't remember if Diablo could possess an angel. I don't remember any instance of that. But I've only played Diablo one, and I played Di- I've played Diablo three a couple of times. I played Diablo two once years ago, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Side note: Apparently, there's a new version of Diablo two you can get on PlayStation Network now. Just tossing that out there. That's okay. I'm 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 enjoying Diablo three. Even though, you know, certain people won't play it with me. You know, just, just saying. Just, just well, you know, when you're some, playing. Yeah, some people don't want to play Farm Simulator with me. So, you know. I want to play Farm Simulator all the time. But you're always out doing stuff. Because you're, like, getting married and shit. Yeah, with yeah. fiancé. Like, she's important. <laughs> Damn social life. I mean, we bought anyway. you the PlayStation so you'd play with us. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, like I said, I've been thinking about this fight a lot, and and like I said, I think both the Balrog and Diablo are very close to each other. But given their track record, I want to edge it out to the Balrog because I mean he's been alive since the first age, whereas Diablo keeps kind of getting summoned and then re-banished, uh, and it took a, a, a creature of equal power three full days to defeat the Balrog at the cost of his own life, whereas nobody has done anything even remotely near that level of sacrifice to banish Diablo from uh, this plane. The only edge, and I was trying to look this up, because again, it's been a while since I played through Diablo as well. Um, I was trying to to look up. So at the end of Diablo 3... Diablo has incorporated the other uh, prime evils into himself, and he becomes the prime evil. And I'm trying yeah. to remember what kind of boost that gave him. Combination of all the great evils into one being, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, it still wasn't enough to keep him from being defeated by a half-angel. <laughs> And a party of indeterminate size that may or may not include a paladin, uh, a necromancer, a wizard, a witch doctor, a barbarian, uh, a demon hunter. Every day I'm Nephilim. All right, there's the shirt we need. (laughs) Every day I'm Nephilim. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, No, I like... I'm fine either way. They like like Scott yeah. said, they are very equal. They're basically the same thing. They even look very similar. Um, yeah. Yes, they do. Uh, so look, I'm willing to go ahead and edge this to the Balrog simply because I don't remember enough about Diablo to make a super yeah. firm fight about it. And and like Scott very correctly pointed out, these are, I mean, they're two different mythologies, but they're essentially the same thing. So. Right. When you're coming down to that, then we're now just kind of splitting hairs between, okay, it's ice cream. What flavor do you want? Um, sorry, it's apples. Which one do you want? Yeah, exactly. And I'll go with the Jonathan Apple. That is the Balrog. All right. I'm jiggy with it. The the Balrog it is. Literally writing in Jonathan Apple on the bracket. So, there <laughs> so it, that brings us. It shall pass. To ours. Ah, I see what you did there. Uh, so we've got a couple rounds left. 
now that we've done the initial, here's what each contestant is, here's what they can and can't do, these next ones should flow much quicker. So, first match of round two. Scott and Jay, hope you're ready. We have the embodiment of fury and hatred and all the viscous sludge, the hate, the bad vibes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> now. The Armis versus the sexiest bald man this side of the Nile, Emotep himself, the mummy. Wait a minute. Wouldn't Armis be going off no, against Yeah, Reaper? sorry, you're right. I read the bracket wrong. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> versus... Uh, yeah, I was doing that wrong. Uh, versus the, the genetically engineered to be perfect Reaper vampire. All right. Do the, do the chickens have large talons? <laughs> no, that was the creature who had large talons, but he's already oh. been incorporated. In, he's already been absorbed by the Armis, so. Did you see the size of that goddamn chicken? We sure did. We <laughs> <Pre> Jay. <laughs> All right. So, Armis versus uh, Reaper. I mean, we already know what Armis can do. We know what he is. Uh, what What is the Reaper vampire really going to do to Armis? That's my the question. Only, so, yeah, here's the thing. And, again, this is something I don't know. Because, so the Armis has the ability to absorb somebody and then it can choose to let them live or die. But we don't know how he makes them die. So would the Reaper be able to regenerate inside the Armis to resist the mysterious way in which he makes people die? Because the Armis can't create silver or sunlight, no, can it? So no, no. the Armis, from what we've seen, can't do that. Um, the way what? I interpreted the episode was that it was a direct control of bodily functions, like it could feed the, you know, it, it could it could physically sustain the person's life, or it could just let the person expire. That's the way I interpret it. Okay. Um, and of course, we know the Reaper doesn't actually exist on, you know, from biological functions. Uh, so while I don't think the Reaper could physically harm Armus, because I don't think he can be physically harmed, uh, I don't think the I don't think Armus could extinguish the life force of the Reaper, but I think it could keep him incapacitated inside himself. Well, let me throw a what if to you. Right. Um, we kind of rule this out for the Xenomorph fight, which I kind of get, uh, but for the Armus, the Armus was created when all of the hatred and malice of a race congealed into a goo, right? For lack of so, a if it's trying to absorb the Reaper, would it not absorb the Reaper strain virus into itself and then become a sentient vampiric pile of goo? I don't think Armus is is absorbing stuff into himself. I don't think he's taking his victims and incorporating parts of it into himself. I don't think he does that. Second, I I believe because if we look at everything from Blade, vampirism, and the Reaper, and the fact that they call it the Reaper strain, it is a biological... Um, it's an uh, STD. It's an STD. It's an infection. It's a disease. It happens on a biological level. 
Yeah, and Armus left the Reaper all up inside it. So well, Armus needs no, to go get a penicillin shot. Okay. Armus has right. actual biological functions. Since since I'm assuming I'm the third party here. Yeah. This is this is I'm gonna play this scenario out for you. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Reaper's a vampire, so it yeah. doesn't like sunlight. Correct. So the only way this interaction is gonna happen is at nighttime. Sure. Regardless, okay. regardless of if Armus can stop the functions of the Reaper and whether the Reaper will regenerate itself within Armus, Armus could envelop the Reaper, wait for the daylight, and let the Reaper go. If Armus was able to deduce that sunlight would destroy it which he is tele uh, telepathic and can read minds i think he would eventually figure that out yes i would agree with that argument and not and, just because it favors my person and and, and regardless <laughs> of just regardless of if armis is infected with this reaper strain because then if it did become a giant sentient vampiric thing then I, I mean, that I would disagree with. But it would still, it would then it would expire because of the sunlight. You know what I mean? But once yeah. it became infected, yeah, eventually the the sunlight it would destroy itself. So either A, Armus wins, or B, they both lose. Right. It depends on how you want to judge it. So what what I would say is I really don't think that the Armus would be infected because there is no biologicals to armus like i was reading the thing and there's no life systems in it yeah. it is literally just hatred yep um so i think like i said armus would just envelop the reaper and like it is telekinetic like it's it's got telekinesis it can read minds it knows what you know that that would be it would up. eventually yeah well it would eventually figure it out i feel like it's intelligent enough to eventually figure out that it can't kill it, so maybe it should try something else. Well, and maybe maybe even on accident, it's like I'm gonna let it go, and then well, it's daylight, and then it's like, oh wait, he's dead. No, see, I don't think it would happen by accident. The way, if if I was writing it, and of course, keep in mind, situations like this always comes down to how you want to write it. Um, yeah. But you know, if I was writing it, then 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 I would you know the the reaper would be on the planet or armis would be on earth which would be a horrible thing um but they would encounter each other and 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 they would would talk or whatever and armis would probably you know rise out of his goo to his man to his bipedal form you know and uh uh the reaper would probably attack in which case armis would just drag it down and then armis would probably try to make it expire but it couldn't because once again i don't think armis could extinguish uh, a reaper's life force because i think armis's way of quote-unquote killing something would be to suspend biological life uh, uh sustaining uh, uh apparatus so once armis realized that this thing wasn't dying when it should armis would be intrigued and armis would start talking with it telepathically um, and which, of course, in which because it can't actually speak because it's enveloped in in, in metamucil and and printer ink. Yeah, uh, printer ink. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
so they would start a dialogue. And actually, I kind of want to see this short film now because we would have this wonderful little exchange. <laughs> we kind of we have this wonderful exchange of, of these two different ideological characters um, uh, going back and forth, kind of like a Sunset Limited kind of a thing, you know, with uh, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and and uh, uh, Samuel Jackson. And um, but uh, um, eventually, because of the telepathic exchange, something would give and, and I could hear Armis going, ah, so you dislike sunlight. This is good to know. Sun rises in three minutes. And then he would expel him when sun when the sun was up and the Reaper would be destroyed. Um, yeah, but Scott, I see that film going a different way. OK. Mine went like total buddy cop rom com. Uh, rom com. Yeah, where like Reaper, the Reapers, you know, they fall in love. Are they skipping yeah. off? They're skipping yeah. off, holding hands into the sunset, and then oh yeah. shit. Yeah, Armus, Armus is like, Armus is like, I am hatred. I hate everything. And the Reapers like, Hey, me too. And they're like, Oh, did we just become best friends? And then it's you know, it's, the yeah. Golden Girls theme. They're skipping off into the sunset, yeah. and then the reaper just vanishes. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Armis takes it. So, <clears throat> we have uh, all that stuff I said earlier. <laughs> the hottest-looking uh, bald man this side of the Nile, Imhotep the mummy, versus... <sighs> The Jonathan Apple of Corrupted Angels. <laughs> the Balrog. <laughs> Jay, tell us why the mummy would win. Again, it goes back to the fact that the mummy is invincible. He's, Emotep's invincible. And again, unless, like you said, the Balrog stumbles across the correct book and the correct spell and can read ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics to translate the spell and make him mortal and drain all of his powers, you're not going to kill the mummy. And default to Scott, why would the Balrog win? Yeah, this is where I'm going to have to disagree with this argument. Now, I, I understood okay. the argument from the other point of view with, with the Faerim. I, I get okay. you. You're completely correct in this however in this situation that argument does not apply and that argument does not apply because so the mummy so emotep is kept alive through magic through the magic of a curse right right okay Okay. we get that we acknowledge that that is not in dispute however the spell that's written in the book that is necessary for a human being to destroy Emotep is not required to destroy Emotep. That's just the instruction. Okay. Whereas the Balrog is a Maiar, which we have already established. He is an angel. They are a creature of magic. They come from a realm where magic is commonplace. Magic is second nature to them. So while one person might need a rule book to understand how to use a DVD player. Somebody who comes from a world where DVD players are commonplace just understands intrinsically. Oh, I get what this is. I know how to use it. So the Balrog, when encompass, when, when encountering um, uh, Imhotep, 
would, during the course of the encounter, be able to look at him and go, oh, you were created via this magic. I get that. I know how to counter that. Because I am a wizard. I'm a mage. I'm a Maiar. I am one with magic. I don't need your puny words. I know how to manipulate the code. And he would just make him not exist. And then bend over to dodge bullets because he's Neo. That too. <laughs> um, Scott, as always, very sound argument. Uh... I, hmm. Jay, are you going with mommy? Yes. Scott, where are you leaning? I've made my argument. Okay. I think the I think the 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 Maiar, uh, of the Balrog would it would it would be a footnote to to him. Listen, I Scott has some very sound logic, but I I have to back my own pony. That's just the way it is. Did you just acknowledge that my argument is superior? You're only voting for Imhotep because he's your pony? No, I'm saying your logic is sound. I didn't say your argument was superior. Oh, it sounds like you literally said, I got to back my own pony. I mean, you literally said that. So I'm just saying. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. Hey. Is Imhotep is, he is the unkillable. He's the creature. He's the thing that you don't talk about. He's got magic too. And no. like to me, he's on level footing with the Balrog. No, no, he is nowhere near on footing with a Maiar. He he does not have magic. He is kept alive by magic. Yes, he is unkillable. He is unkillable for a human. Maiar is not a human. They they do say um I will I will paraphrase a line from one of my favorite lines from the book. When they're talking about, you know, he'll bring with him the plagues of Egypt and blah, blah, blah. It'd be invincible. Um, no mortal weapon can harm him. To which our boy Ricochet O'Connell says, well, then we'll have to find some immortal ones. And you could make a very sound argument that a Balrog is an immortal weapon. I would agree completely. That's exactly what I have, I have to edge it to the Balrog. You know what? I this is bullshit. Be... <laughs> <laughs> I Don't demand a bad, Jay. Jay, both of my guys lost to a pile of goo, okay? <laughs> I demand a, a recount. This, this election right. was uh, Scott, who are you voting for? I'm voting for the Balrog. I'm voting for the Balrog. Jay, who are you voting for? You know what? This is... Recount's over. You want to recount again? You know what? Xenomorph Emotep 2024. <laughs> pile of goo jay <laughs> pile of goo so so my question is for the championship are we just going to listen to scott cox argue against scott cox <laughs> yes that's exactly how i was about to intro this so scott please tell us why yes. armis would win and then scott please tell us why the balrog would win <laughs> Oh, so I gotta be honest with you. Uh, looking at this, are with myself, the Scott Cox? <laughs> looking at this lineup going in, I honestly thought it was going to come down to Armis versus Diablo. Mm. Until I constructed the argument against Diablo, ah, shot yourself in the foot there, and man. I'm like, well, shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so now I've got to look at Armist versus the Balrog. And I'm 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 a little confused. Um, however, yeah, however. So if we look at this objectively. <laughs> and as objectively as we can, because so I'm going to preface this. So first of all, I'm not a big fan of quote unquote mashups. OK. Um, because I have a lot of people. So I, I'm, I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. And over the years, I've had a lot of. A lot of people ask me, oh, so who would win? You know, the Enterprise or a Star Destroyer? You know, and and I always, throw, well, I always throw it back at them. I'm like, well, which Enterprise are you talking about? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, there have been six that I'm aware of right now. Off the top of my head. Um, and everything. I'm like, well, I don't know. I was like, okay, well, let's take the most powerful one. Quote, unquote, the most powerful one, the latest one, the Sovereign Class. Um. You know, I mean, we can look up, you know, it's it's armed with standard Federation, uh, I think, type 18 um, primary phaser banks, both photon and quantum torpedoes, which we know their yield. Um, but a an Imperial class Star Destroyer is is uh, ha- has uh, 60 turbo laser batteries of which only 30 of which can be brought to bear against any single target. So what's the primary energy output of a turbo laser battery? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Exactly. You don't have a basis for comparison. You don't have a baseline to, to make these comparisons. So when it comes to mashups, it's however you want to write it. You've got to come up with some kind of a logic. Now, with regards to that, um, we do these things, and, and it's just fun to debate, and, and I get that. But you still have to look at it objectively. Um, and so if we look at Armis, uh, and we have to extrapolate some stuff that was not definitively told to us in the show and we know that armis is the the concentration of all the hate and you know we've said malice and and just all the bad shit from an entire race of people so that they could be the angelic good people they wanted to be and 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 it created it developed a consciousness of its own but we don't know by what process they expelled all of these these um uh, I don't know. Uh, all of these, these these feelings, all of this bad shit. We don't know if it was magic or some kind of a science or what. But we also have the old adage that any advanced form of society, any advanced form of science, is indistinguishable from magic. So. If we look at science and magic as ultimately one form, the same thing, it doesn't matter if it was science or magic, it's all the same thing, then we're looking at the Balrog and Armis on an equal footing in that they can both manipulate whatever cosmic forces are allowing them to manipulate. And given that the Balrog is uh, a... um, uh, a, a, a creature born... Of, of of these forces and and this this situation um and and armis was just as a consequence of it i want to edge it out to the balrog i i think that the balrog can manipulate whatever forces exist to dissipate armis because i don't think armis could absorb the balrog uh, cause even if physically he could envelop him, 
I, I don't think the even if, let's say that uh, Armus was able to physically get around the Balrog. I don't think he could put him in stasis like he could a mortal creature or a creature of the quote unquote Midgard plane, the mid realm um, of this plane of existence, because the Balrog is not of this plane of existence. Uh, so once inside, I think the Balrog would continue to fight back on a planar level and ultimately figure out once again how to undo Armus. Yeah. Balrog. I was going to agree with you on that, Scott, that the Armus was created out of hatred. Like it was created from this, whatever it was created from. I feel like the Balrog would be able to undo and just completely like like the argument you used against Emotep. Yeah. He'd just go, oh, and undo it. Exactly. Well, you know, once he kind of it's like, oh, I, I know what's going on here. Yeah. Right. You're, uh, and yeah. then he would dissipate that hatred back to whatever race created it. And yeah. if that race didn't exist anymore. The descendants of that race, I guess you could say. See now, so I have. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I have ahead. a much simpler argument for why Balrog wins. Yeah, and this is going to be another one of those behind the curtain uh, arguments. But I hate Armus, and here's why I hate Armus. <laughs> <laughs> it killed both my fighters. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, but here's what I what I hate about the sol- And then run away and tell everyone to stay away from the planet. There is no way to beat Armus in that episode. Armus is not a, a monster. Armus is a writer's block solution. Armus is, oh, we want to have them confront this, this conglomeration of evil. Okay, cool. Well, why don't they just teleport off the planet? Oh, uh, Armus makes a force field and they can't do that. Uh, okay. Why don't they just shoot it with a phaser? Oh, um, uh, Armus isn't affected by that. Uh, why? Just because. Uh, oh, okay. It's not, there, there's no rationale to govern Armus other than that's what the writers wanted. Yeah. Oh my and God. I hate shit like that. Yeah. John, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just had an epiphany. You just saw the size of that goddamn chicken, didn't you? No, no. Oh, You're going to love okay. this epiphany. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I can't think of him that was hook. Uh, See, I've had an apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jay. You're gonna your, your epiphany, sorry. Okay. Okay. The guy who was the nerd playing D&D who came up with the Feyrim <laughs> took that anger and became a writer on Next became Generation. became a writer on Next Generation. <laughs> so, Armus is the Next Gen Feyrim. The next gen fair room, you're probably not wrong. Uh, next gen fair room, yeah. So, <laughs> it, nor in, in a good episode, there would be a solution. It might not be, it, it shouldn't be easy, it shouldn't be simple. It should be something we have to work and struggle to find because that's what makes our characters heroic. But there should be a solution to it. And this the solution is run away and tell everyone not to go back, and we'll never talk about him again until Lower Decks wants a cheap joke about prank calls. Until Lower Decks wants a cheap joke about prank calls, yes. But okay, so two things here. First of all, I'm going to disagree with you on a small level. Okay. 
I get what you're saying, and you are completely right that Armus uh, is nothing more than a Deus Ex Machina villain. He is just a he, he's he's more of an environmental thing for writers than he is anything else. Uh, I get that. I do. The fact that he's that he's unprecedented within the bounds of Trek is not right. So in the original, I didn't say he was unprecedented. What, what, what I'm saying is, so in in and and this is where it comes from, in in uh, because the solution wasn't to run away. Okay. That is not the solution. I would disagree with you on that, because just like Kirk with the M5 computer and with Nomad, two instances in the original series where Kirk had to outwit by distracting the the computer allowing somebody else to do what the spock or whoever to do what was necessary to actually resolve the situation and turn the tide to them picard uh engages um uh armis in a battle of wits to distract him and get him frustrated enough that he loses focus on what he's doing so that they can beam deanna troy out uh and then leave him behind he he tricks him that's the solution. The fact that they were able to overcome him with, you know, uh, um, uh, oh shit, a battle of wits, basically. It didn't come down okay. to power. It didn't come down to might. It came down Inconceivable. to a battle. So running away wasn't the solution. Uh, the, 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 the solution was, you know, Picard outwitting him. Um, and, and that's what Next Generation was. That's what the original series was. was the solutions was not always about a, a matter of arms or strength. Now they did leave and they did quarantine the planet and we don't get Armus again until like you said, Lord next wanted a cheap joke, but they did. So it's there. Um, so again, I will argue Armus may have been thwarted, but he has not been defeated because there's no way to defeat Armus. They were, they succeeded in saving their crew and running away. Yes. But the threat of Armus is still there. Because there's no way to beat Armus because he's a bullshit thing writers came up with. There's no way to beat Armus from a mundane level for humans. There's no way for humans to defeat Armus. Right. That's very true. So I think so we Balrog, all agree that the Balrog beat Armus. Yes. yes. Between the two, I would give it to the Balrog. So there you go. So that I, is a unanimous yeah. three-way vote. Yeah, I was just trying to, you know, satisfy your all's requirement for me having to debate with myself. So thank you. Well, Scott, you are a master debater. Well, I haven't done that since about four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Okay, we're a little too close. We're making the same jokes. So there you have it. There is our final uh expert opinion on the 2021 monster mash tournament the champion who will therefore be required to return next year the balrog of morgoth what do you think of these fights what did you think of our picks uh i know they're not some of your go-to ones uh but that's why i like this list there's a lot of stuff on here i wouldn't have thought of and i like that uh it, it forces us to make new arguments and to really kind of up our game as far as your arguments go. What did you think of our picks? What did you think of our our decisions and our arguments? Let us know. Are there monsters you want to see for next year? 
hit us up and let us know until then guys thank you for bringing your a games um scott thank you for debating scott and scott thank you for debating with scott it's the least we could do (laughs) (laughs) and until next time this has been your weekly nerd alert